You're listening to Legally Bliss Conversations. This podcast reclaims and rewrites the stories female attorneys have been told about how we should practice law, grow our businesses, treat our clients, treat ourselves, and craft our identities as female attorneys. We'll hear inspiring stories from current and former female attorneys, the ones who question the stories they've been told, the ones who aren't afraid to live boldly and step into their own power. We'll learn from women who define success on their terms. Through lighthearted and curious conversation, we'll impact the challenges these inspiring female attorneys have already navigated. So join me on this journey. You'll be empowered and ready to rewrite a completely new story about what is possible for you. Hey there, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Legally Bliss Conversations Conference Room, which is a regular roundtable where lady lawyers get together to discuss an impactful subject matter that we think can help our audiences better navigate life and law. My name is Susie Hickson, and I'm a trademark attorney and the founder of the Legally Bliss community. While female attorneys are incredible advocates for others, they do seem to struggle a bit with self-advocacy. Hence, the Legally Bliss community was developed to give female attorneys a platform to network, collaborate, and support others. Our community challenges social constructs about how female attorneys are taught to practice law and how we're supposed to show up as lawyers. So in today's conference room, we're going to be talking about a recent article written by Harrison Barnes, who is the CEO of BCG Attorney Search. And it's called, Why You Can Never Stop Practicing Law for More Than a Few Weeks Once You Start. I will link the article in the show notes. This article really stood out to me because it's it's an opinion that goes against what I stand for, and that's the importance of prioritizing your personal time and your mental health above all. And so I really wanted to dig into this article with a few of my brilliant colleagues. I want to get their perspectives on it. So for today's discussion, I'm so happy to welcome Danielle Bass. Danielle is an attorney at Wilson, Cincini, Goodrich, and Rosati, and she's a professor at the University of Michigan Law School, and the University of Chicago Law School. She loves yoga, puppies, farmer's markets, baking, and spending time with her daughter. I'd also like to welcome Renata Musio. Renata is an attorney and life coach for female attorneys who want to make money and love their job again without working long hours and sacrificing their personal life. She's a podcast called Happy Lawyer. She loves tacos, HGTV, Reno shows, and walks. And finally, let's welcome Heather Mulder. Heather is currently my coach, and she's a former big law partner turned lawyer, leadership, and business coach who traded in her $2.5 million practice to help lawyers create success from the inside out. After practicing law, making partner at an international firm and building her own book of business, while navigating two pregnancies on bed rest, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer, Heather chose to leave her legal career and create her own path to becoming happily successful. Welcome again, ladies. I'm so happy that you guys are here. And so let's talk about this article and taking leaves of absence as lawyers. Um, let's start with Renata. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So many opinions. I see all of them like, 
<laughs> yeah, you're you're like immediately to my left here. And so I'm not sure how this is going to appear on everyone else, but let's let's talk about it because I know that you are one of the more recent uh, of my colleagues who ha left practice of law some time ago and you've gone back into it fairly recently. So I'd love to hear your perspective. Yeah, so my short absence uh, was about 10 years long. <laughs> and um, I left the practice uh, relatively quickly after starting. You know, I really, so for a, for a multitude of reasons, reasons I didn't understand. I was diagnosed late in life with ADHD. Um, I think I was in the wrong practice area to begin with. So many things, right? Like that you just, as a young lawyer, don't quite get about yourself as a, a young woman, as a young woman navigating a professional career. Um, so, you know, it, it sort of was this, this, um, variety of factors for me that caused me to leave. And ultimately it was really just unhappiness. Um, and I left and I was staying home with kids. Now I did do a multitude of things in the last 10 years. I mean, raising kids, you know, number one. Um, but I just, when I read this article, I was really, um, I don't know, just like angry because I think that it's sending such a wrong message. Of course, you know, Harrison Barnes, is that even a real name? First of all, can we? But I'm like, of course, as like a male, a white male to be writing this type of article, I just so many things were triggered for me. Um, and I will say, yeah, you know, is it super easy? Maybe, maybe not. But that does not mean that um, it can't happen. It doesn't mean you can't go back. And to be honest, I think today I'm a better lawyer. I'm in a better firm. I'm in a better, right? Like, because I know so much more about myself as what I want as a lawyer, as what I want as a woman, as a mom, as a wife, as just like a human. So, um you know, is it challenging? Uh, yes, but that doesn't mean that you cannot do it. Absolutely not. So I big, strong disagree with this article. So I'm glad to be here. Thank you for letting me share. No, I'm so happy you're here. Yeah. So his premise is that while taking a leave of absence, and this is what he says, um, to travel the Far East or write the next great American novel sounds amazing. In all likelihood, you will not be welcomed back into the legal profession with open arms if you decide to return. He says, he says when and if you decide to return, as if you're going to definitely return. The legal <laughs> profession does not look kindly upon people who take extended breaks. And he discusses the reasons why in the article, which I thought was a really interesting article. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear from Heather and Danielle. Well, I have a problem with his assumptions. Like, I think he, yeah, I know people who have taken leaves of absence. Not one of them have done it as a whimsical thing or for payback for all that they've done, um, which are the two reasons he lists for, you know, why you can't, you know, don't do that. This is, these are the assumptions he's made that that's why. And then he expressly states, I'm not talking about those of you who leave for, mental health, physical health, sanity issues, which is 99% of the people out there at the end of the day, that or because they've had kids. But I would say some of that is more of a, in my experience, stress, anxiety related because they haven't figured out how to like fit them all together. And so I think his premise is BS, to be honest with you, <laughs> um, because he's making this assumption that just doesn't exist. There aren't lawyers that I've ever seen that take these extended leaves of absences and come back because they just want to go have fun and write a book and not, you know, and then one day come back. People who 
go off and do those kinds of things typically find that they were not meant to practice law and they never come back. And that's never. their intent when they leave. <laughs> Although it also assumes though, that if you do leave for those reasons, that there's some, that there's a problem that that somehow doesn't carry right. any weight or value. So let's say you did go off to write a book or even take a sabbatical, like for your, I mean, okay, for your mental health or not, but but that assumes that there isn't some value that taking that rest or writing a book or traveling the world, like that you can't bring value to being a lawyer in the future. So yeah, no, I agree. Well, it's it's probably it's my his whole whimsical, like it's just some whim that you like. Yes. I think that's BS. Like that's not why people do it. Yeah. Even those who go to write a book, even those who go because they want to travel yeah. and they've not had the opportunity, there is a purpose to it. And he is automatically assuming that most people who do this or want to do this, there is no purpose, right? It's just some win that they want to go. And I'm like, um, that's not really how it works. <laughs> it's so funny to me because I see in, in my two professional like worlds, you know, big law being one of them where it's just like, you are part of the machine, you grind, like nine to five doesn't exist. It's just like, you are always a lawyer, even you know, I had, I had a partner recently tell me like, well, I've had plenty of vacations that were ruined due to, you know, a, a deal closing or something like, like, it's a matter of fact, like I don't deserve rest. I don't deserve to go on vacation with my family. Um, and then in this world of academia that I'm in where like rest is inherent to success, like this idea that like during the holidays, like the universities shut down. Like we mm -hmm. are not, we are not available. Like people will send email, but it, there's no expectation that like much happens during those like built-in periods of time. And you come back rested, ready, you know, you've, you've spent time with your family. And this idea that like, if you were to take a sabbatical and go study at a different university or decide to travel, that that only makes you a better professional. And it doesn't take away from the professional success that you might be having where you do, you know, practice or, or, or teach. And so it's it's so interesting to me that that these two different just like dichotomies can can exist really, really simultaneously. Um, I took time off between my two law firms. I took a, a whole month and I remember um, I, I originally was only taking two weeks off and I decided to take a whole month before I came to Wilson. And I remember asking permission from the partners at Wilson Cincini to extend my my start date. And I remember thinking like, wow, the, the balance of my rest weighs in someone else's hands and how unnatural and inorganic that felt. Um, but I think, I think there's, there's some truth to it. I think that the, the big law machine expects you to be ready and willing to work at any time. And if you do take time off, it's seen as a demerit and it's not seen as an opportunity for you to better yourself and to be you know, more well-rounded and, and, and truly like a part of yourself. And perhaps, perhaps it's less of a problem of, of Harrison and a problem of just like the big law mentality. Um, but, but I've succumbed to it too. You know, I've, I have a environment where it's like, you can take unlimited time off and how much time do our friends, you know, in big law take off under those unlimited PTO um, policies? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's a cultural issue going on within big law, especially. And I don't think it's always the firm's fault. A lot of this is choices people choose to continually make and enforce upon themselves. I've seen partners at big law, because I was in big law, take sabbaticals, take like 18 month sabbaticals and work. And then frankly, I think big law is more equipped to allow for that than other places. And so, but you have to be strong enough to do it 
And it, I will say, caveat here, when I've seen it actually work, they've been senior people, usually partners with books of business, mostly men. <laughs> um, I do think there were women who could take it without really an issue similarly. But again, I think I think you have to have a certain status within the firm for the firm to be willing to work with you on it. At least that's been my experience. Um, so I, I do think there are caveats to being able to take it. I totally agree with that. Yeah, I think that there is definitely, I don't have big law experience. I, I will say that my my, the practice area I was in before was commercial litigation. And so even making that switch, now I'm in family law. And even that choice was very purposeful because I did not, you know, I wanted more flexibility. I wanted um, just a different type of environment. You know, is there, you know, so, so I, I maybe agree with some of his article where, yeah, you know, to go back to, let's say a big law job or any type of firm where they expect you to be a cog in the wheel or you're, you're, you know, yeah, you're, you're supposed to be just billing hours. Um, it, it, it can be, I can see that being challenging, you know, so there is maybe some sacrifice that you have to make. I think, you know, it, it's dependent on the individual. I think generally this is like a cultural thing, Heather, as you sort of bring out like, or bring up, like, what are the attitudes about, you know, how do we look at people who take a break, who leave? How do we welcome them back? How are we, you know, I mean, even looking at women who take maternity leave, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's give, you know, in firms now, you know, sure, go ahead, take your maternity leave. But then what, how is that woman treated? Is she making partner? You know, so I, I do wonder and ask myself a lot. I wonder if as this sort of, you know, I don't want to just label it as like boomers or any type of like generation in particular, but I would do wonder if this sort of stereotypical, right? Like white male, you know, 50s, 60s plus, like if as as they start to retire, as as the this like sort of new regime starts to take over and, and you know, is that something we're going to see change? I don't know. I, I'm hopeful for that, but I think Heather, you're right. Like, it's like the more people who do it, I think, especially women, the more we talk about it, the more we push back, take the sabbaticals, take the breaks. Um, but I, you know, I, I think that's when we're going to start to see it. Yeah. I think you have to do it more and more for it to become accepted. Mm -hmm. I do see a generational thing, although I don't know if it's hundred percent generational, at least in big law. So my experience in big law was this, if you were a male attorney who was more senior, you automatically had a stay at home wife. And those with stay at homes had very different viewpoints <laughs> on what you did and did not do and how you could work. And, and because they had different constraints, right? They had to bring in the money. And so they had a very different viewpoint of, no, it's always work and I have to do this. And they assumed everybody else would rise up to those standards. I don't know that for all of them, it was always the you know, male chauvinist type. I think it was more just their outlook on life because of their situation to some extent. And then as you got to the younger people, there were more and more men with wives who worked just as much as they did. They had a very different outlook than the guys who were same generation as them, but also had stay at homes. And I, I do think there's something to that, right? So I think it's better when you look at the younger generation, but it's also dependent on that, at least yeah. in my experience. <laughs> yeah, I know that's a really good point. I see my 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 red flags go up when I see young women who come in to big law 
like a doctor comes in out of med school thinking, this is my internship. It's going to suck. I'm going to work a ton of hours. I'm going to have to grind, but it's going to be worth it. I'm going to get to the other end of this. I'm going to earn my stripes and then I'll be able to, you know, like carve out the time to do the things that I really want to do. And when I see the young women sending emails at 2 a.m., like a badge of honor and grinding, I think, oh no, like she's got <laughs> it already. Like she is you know, she, she hasn't even like passed the bar officially and she's already just like grinding for a firm that like, and it's on stuff. It's always on stuff that just like, doesn't matter. Right. And you're like, Oh, sweetheart. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, and they, they wear it like a badge of honor. Cause they think this is the culture that I am supposed to be in. And this is how I'm going to be, you know, seen and respected. And the problem of course, is that these women burn themselves out so quickly um, and, and they, because they think this is like what we're supposed to do. And, you know, it, what, what I find is like the, the clients that I enjoy working with like to see me as a human. And if I ever sent an email at any time between, I don't know, like 11 to like 4am, they would be like, Danielle, you okay? Like <laughs> they, they would not, they would not want me to be working at those times. And so you know, when I tell most of my clients, like, I'm going to be taking time off for the, for, you know, the holidays or whatever it is, most of them are like, we're so happy for you because that's what like normal humans do. Right. Yes. And I think a lot of um, young people of just like the new kind of generation, especially like in the economic climate we're in are like, I'm going to prove that I am going to be the hardest worker and I'm going to be worthy of this. And not realizing that they are writing their own ticket to just like burnout express. <laughs> right. I love yeah, it. which then requires them to take a sabbatical. <laughs> right. Like a medical sabbatical. Yes. yes. <laughs> so Danielle, I love that you said that because like, I think for me as like, when I was a young lawyer, I was really unhappy. And I think that now as a coach for lawyers, I'm really finding this like desire to help young lawyers. Cause it's like, I want to be the coach for the for my like past self, right? Um, because I wish someone would have told me that from the get-go um, about whether it was how to seek out mentors. Susie, you and I have talked about mentorship and like the lack kind of thereof for like young lawyers. And some of us get really lucky and we find someone at our firm or someone, you know, takes us under their wing. But I think for most of us, that doesn't happen. And if you don't know to advocate for yourself, even, even talking about like how to generate business, right. That you could be mm -hmm. thinking about that as a first year. What does that look like? You don't have to know a dang thing and you can still be generating business. You can set, you know, set boundaries when, when people are putting work on your plate, you know, I just, there's so many things that I wish I knew as a young lawyer that I think would have helped probably me probably stay in the, in the career and in the profession. Um, so I love that you said that, Danielle, and I and I think that um, yeah, it's just so so very important. And taking this all back to like the article, I think something that really stuck out to me is this: he seems to assume from the big law perspective only, right, and from the most negative perspective, like oh, you took off because of a whim, and big law won't accept you. And and I think we've already challenged that that's not necessarily the case, but he does have some. You know, there are questions when people leave for extended periods of time that everybody's going to have. And so I do think it's important to think about those ahead of time and plan around them. And then you can have an appropriate response. And if you have a good appropriate response, maybe big law will or will not take you. I've seen big law 
hire people who've taken time off when they look really amazing for other reasons, but they look really amazing for other reasons, I have to say. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't, and it doesn't mean big law is the only place to go because the fact of the matter is most lawyers don't work in big law. And I've seen firsthand in my coaching, so I was big law when I practiced, but I coach people in big law and non-big law, solo, small firms all over the place, right? One interesting thing that I've seen is how much some of these smaller to mid-sized firms really value different perspectives and different backgrounds. And not all of them do, but some definitively do. So like, for example, I have a client who she's actually in her third year of law school and she owns an amazing restaurant, amazing business. She has successfully built that business. Does always wanted to go to law school. Pandemic made her reevaluate and go, okay, I'm going to go to law school. Of course, her grades are pretty good, but not like the stellar, you know, top 10% grades that the people who all they do is school have. She has a family. She has four kids. She has a restaurant she's been running, and she's still been doing well. The big law, not interested in her, which devastated her at first. Let's take a quick pause for a message from my sponsor, Prominent Practice. Are you thinking about a career transition from big law or partnership to a solo practice, selling your practice, or maybe you're launching a project unrelated to law? Whatever the reason for your transition, you'll need support along the way. Enter Prominent Practice, an executive consulting and marketing firm specializing in branding, positioning, and reputation management for transitioning attorneys. Founded by a female entrepreneur who spent a decade building smart digital platforms for thought leaders before pivoting to focus on high-end service providers who were preparing for successions, mergers, and acquisition events in their businesses. If you're thinking about making a big business move, don't risk losing the ability to leverage the reputation you've spent your career building. Let Prominent Practice be your guide. Visit prominentpractice.com slash blist for an exclusive introduction. But now she's realizing how much these smaller, more entrepreneurial firms really value her background. And granted, it's not the same thing as taking a sabbatical, but I think it kind of is. Culturally, it's the same kind of like mindset. Mm -hmm. Depending on why you took it, what you did, how you can spin that story, you could be really valuable for having taken it to some people. Mm -hmm. I can speak to that 100% too, because so my background, um, like I said, I was in commercial litigation. I left to stay home with my kids. And over the course of the last 10 years, I coached. I was an entrepreneur. I built businesses. I pursued, you know, some creative endeavors and literally my cover letters, you know, when I was applying this fall to firms, I, I sort of was joking, not joking. <laughs> I said, I don't have, my first line was like, I don't have the experience you're looking for. You will notice a, a you know, a large gap. I called it out. I said what, it, you know, exactly what it was. Um, and then I, and then I sold it. I said, this is why these skills, I was helping build these businesses. I had a family business that I was consulting for, doing marketing for all these things. Now I'm at a firm where I am working as a lawyer, but also they want me to help with their marketing, their business development there. Right. And I'm, I'm thrilled. Like I'm so excited because it's not just me, you know, churning cases and, and pumping out, you know, hours. It's me actually getting to, to have that creative, um, you know, play, play up to my entrepreneurial skills as well. And so, yeah, big law never would have looked at me. A lot of law firms actually would have never looked at me and that's okay. That in fact, really just narrowed 
I think the field for me to, to, for me to find the, the right thing. <laughs> is this going to be where I'm going to be forever? Who knows? But like, I'm, I'm thrilled right now. This is great. This is a great stepping stone for me. Um, so I love that you pointed that out because it's absolutely possible that, you know, you're going to find actually like a better fit for you. Yeah. And I love that you sold, Hey, I might have a legal gap, but that legal gap is actually a benefit to you. And here's why, <laughs> because yes. it is. It gives you and perspective I think, and, and so many other like, but things. here's the funny thing about lawyers. And I see this all the time. I can only do X. I'm a lawyer. I'm trained to be a lawyer. I can't think about mm -hmm. marketing. I'm not good at that. I'm not good at, you know, sales. I'm mm -hmm. not good at all this other stuff. And it's like, no, 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 no. It, it, you need to be a business advisor as, as well as a lawyer if you're really going to be successful. And there are a lot of other skills that go into that. And so you can sell that. And that's where I think people, yes, it narrows. If you take a sabbatical, it may narrow your target market because there are just some lawyers who just don't get it yet. But I do think the market is changing in that area. And I think that it's easier to sell than you think to the right people. I think you have to look at yourself as like, a business or a brand as like an individual lawyer, whether you're yes. at a firm or you're on a sabbatical, whatever, like at the end of the day, it's like, okay, I have, I don't just have my legal experience to offer. I have all these other things, even if they're personal interests, you know, like that makes you really good at things. Even, you know, the, the stay at homes that, that are, you're, you're not doing nothing. None of us are like on a beach break. I mean, even that, I don't know, you, you're very rested, right? Like there's a way to spin it and sell it. Um, I just think that, that you got to just figure out a way to do that, but they're, they're definitely, I mean, you're bringing value either way. As someone that's currently on a beach break, <laughs> I can also attest that you are always like, always be selling, right? Like I, at people that I talk to, you know, I'm, I'm in one of the most beautiful places in the world. And I meet people that I connect with authors and business people yes. and like I'm doing business development it's not like I'm not taking somebody to lunch and like showing them a business card in the traditional sense but like I've generated business during some of these trips and so like I think that I think that the conception is totally right that like if you think of yourself as a brand and you are always like it, I enjoy being a lawyer so I'm starting from the premise of that, right? Like I, when people are like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a lawyer. Like I hate my job. Like, of course, no one's going to want to like talk to me about what I do. Right. But like, I enjoy what I do. And so like, when I talk to people around me, you know, I connect with them. And so continuing to like, always be that person, no matter where you are, is only going to make you just like a happier person, but you're also going to be able to sell yourself. I think it's totally right too. I love that perspective of no matter where you go, you're still kind of an, in your own brand, right? And a business development for for your your practice um, can happen anywhere, right? On the beach, on uh, like I mean, I remember I would always meet people when I was traveling, like on a plane. Like I would always like meet someone that could be a prospective client. Um, one of the reasons it's kind of going back to the article a bit. One of the reasons that hair. Um, Harrison Barnes <laughs> said you should not take a hiatus. This is one that really stood out to me. Um, he said, future firms will think that your law job and firm will not be your all-consuming focus. I mean, heaven forbid here. Once That's a red flag. I know. Right? I mean, seriously, right? <laughs> yes. Once you. someone drops out of the race, quote unquote, and out of it's apparently we're racing here. Um, this shows others that the dropout, quote unquote, does not really care about winning anymore and that his 
that this lack of a competitive edge is considered a detriment by law firms. If you eliminate yourself from competition, even for a while, the message you send to others is that, wait for it, the law is not your number one priority. And it shouldn't be. So, you know, I mean, I, there's yet another assumption there. <laughs> that's the only way you can be successful in law. And that is absolutely not true. I mean, I know because I had a balanced life with two kids and a successful practice. Did I give some things up to have the balance? Yes. I specifically did not want to go over 3 million because I knew if I ever went over 3 million for my own book of business, that it was going to get too unruly. I would need a bigger team and it would like take over my life. So I kept it under that, but I still made good money, had great clients and was happy. And so like, there is a way there's like a, and you have to figure out what that balance is for you, but you do not have to make the law all consuming to be successful. And I think personally, the people I see who are successful in that way aren't successful because they're crazy unhappy. They're very unfulfilled. Many of them have drinking and other issues behind the scenes that I've seen. <laughs> they have broken relationships with their children and their spouses. They might not even be you know, married any longer. I mean, they have a long list of issues. Maybe they make a lot of money, but that's it. I think that's his underlying assumption, honestly, in this entire article that like yes. money is the, is the, you know, de 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 definition of what is successful. And that's just, that's not, that's not the case, you know? No. And, and I think too, as young lawyers too, I, I wish someone would have also taught me how to consider like, what is my definition of success? What is, what do I actually want? What will my day-to-day -day life to be like? Right. Because it's not just, yes, what practice area, maybe what type of firm size do you want to be at home, you know, working in an office, but also like, do you want to be home at three o'clock for your kid's bus? Maybe, maybe not. You know, do you want to be working on vacation? Maybe at some point in my life, like that would have been okay. I would have been totally fine with that now. Absolutely not. You know? So, um, I think that having he, he's really assuming that money is the end all be all. Um, and that's just not the case. So funny too. And I think I'm around this a lot because I'm, I'm seeing so many students, but like the law school culture is so primed for, for that because all of these, you know, students are, are taking out a ton of money to go to top law schools or even just like private law schools. And they, they walk out with, you know, triple digits of debt and they're thinking, okay, what's the best way for me to get out of this? And so even if they think, okay, I'm going to spend two years in big law, do my time, make a ton of money, pay down my loans they get those golden handcuffs. I mean, and it, they're very, very difficult to take off and you get accustomed to a certain type of lifestyle. You get accustomed to the rush of the deal or need, being needed. It's so funny. I was talking to to somebody the other day and, and a lot of the time, especially young women are primed in big law for that affirmation of feeling so important and getting those those words of just like positivity so that they feel important, they feel useful, and they keep coming back, not realizing that they're the commodity, right? And mm. they're just being used and the, the will do's and the, yeah, absolutely, I'm on this and feeling like, you know, you have the pat on the back is the shoulder, you know, the, 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 the praise enough that you need. 
when really you are just draining and draining and draining, you know, your bucket. And, and sometimes it's not just the money, but it's the accolade. It's the, you know, okay, I'm going to be senior associate. I'm going to be counsel. I'm going to be partner. I'm going to be equity partner. I'm going to be the rainmaker. I'm going to do, I'm going to go up and I'm going to feel so important. I'm going to be, I'm going to be so important. It's the stroking of the ego, right? And not realizing like the time that you spend trying to ascend those, those accolades is the time that you don't get at home. It's the time you don't get with your partner. It's the time that you're not selling your relationships. And that all kind of comes out in the equations of like what we're left with at the end of the day. And is that, you know, an empty em inbox? Is that, you know, a, a, a huge inbox, but, you know, lots of snuggles and, you know, puppies and whatever you need at home. And, and, and again, that goes down to, to different people. Pre-Layla, pre pre-baby for me, I would grind it out. Absolutely. My first year, I built 2,400 hours and I wore that like a badge of honor. If I had, I built 2,100 this year and I was like, I'm never doing that again. I would rather <laughs> quit my job. I would rather rage quit than ever do that again and miss the time with my kid. And I knew it the second that it happened and I was over that threshold. I knew that. And the problem is, is I think a lot of people don't understand when to start listening to that vagus nerve and understand like, oh, this isn't sitting well with me. I'm not, you know, I'm not my best self right now. And some people thrive. Some people are like, I want to be, you know, the, the breadwinner. I want to have the stay at home wife. I want to live that lifestyle. I know today, definitely not me. <laughs> I think both of you have really picked up on though, this importance of understanding what success means mm -hmm. and checking in regularly in my mind and what i help my clients with is to figure out what your actual values are and then define success based on input not output so that you don't get so attached to the ego stroking accolades i mean those are nice and all but that's not really what success is success is about what you're putting into the equation and are you aligned with the things that are truly important to you and part of that does include you know achieving things um, because we're all high achievers but if you have that strong success definition from the very beginning and then check in at least annually with, okay, where am I? Because your circumstances change. Like you're right. When I was pre-children, I didn't have a problem grinding out more hours. Although one year I did because it was so crazy. I don't, I think I could count on one hand the number of days I did not work. And that's when I knew I needed to make a change. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you know, I think that that's the other thing is life changes, circumstances change what you want changes, your priorities change, all of that change. So you've got to regularly check in at least annually and look back and go, okay, where am I now? What's important to me now? How is my success definition changed for me now? And then go after that. I think too, and I, I kind of said that, you know, his article is, is based on the premise that making a lot of money equals, you know, success. But I think too, that you can also be, I don't, I definitely don't want to imply that like we should be taking less money or take the like, you know, small firm jobs. You can make, you know, half of what you were normally making. I think that really, um, what new generations, even us as, as, you know, experienced attorneys really need to be pushing back on is that like more hours build doesn't necessarily mean that like that just automatically equals more money. You can right. still be building less hours, providing service on um, being an amazing attorney and providing so much great value in you, in your career, um, and still be making a S ton of money. Um, and having some of that balance or, or whatever you want to call it, whether it's being at home or whether it's having, you know, less hours in the office, whatever that looks like for you. Um, I think we just need to be 
standing up for it more, demanding it more. Um, and, and that's, that, that's how it's going to happen. So I, by no means, like, I'm not like take less money so you can have a balance. Hell no, <laughs> get the money and also have that balance. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also, I think we have this attitude of get having it all and doing it all. And, and it's just not possible. There are trade-offs. Like it, it's just intentionally making them like with real intention and understanding what is most important to you. And yeah, you can make a lot of money. As I said, I intentionally kept my practice under a certain amount because I knew I didn't want that. That was not what success was to me. Could I have made more money? Yeah, but I was already making a lot and it was more than enough at the time, right? And so had I stayed in the practice and not gotten cancer and not ended up on this path, eventually my kids would have gotten older. I would have had more time on my hands and I probably would have wanted to grow my practice bigger because I would have had more free time on my hands that I would have wanted to fill up. Maybe not. Maybe I would have wanted to take more vacations. I don't know. But again, you make those intentional decisions as long as they're intentional. I think where we have trouble is we don't make them very intentionally. If you could give any advice, we'll, we'll round this, um, round this out. If you could give any advice to either your younger self or to a young female attorney, who comes up to you and says, I want to take three months off this summer. There's no medical issue. Um, what would you say to her? And I'm going to ask um, Danielle first, because I, I have a feeling, and I know that you're, you are, you're in an interesting position because you are straddling a couple of different things here. Like you get the world of big law but you also are seeing like you're around, a, you're in academia, right? People are going to, people take off for two weeks over the holidays, right? I'm kind of curious and you're around a lot of um, younger lawyers or soon to be lawyers. So yeah. you can just like put yourself kind of imagine one of these young women come up to you and maybe they've been out a year or two and they're like, I want to take them. I want to take three months off. M maybe they're not writing the great, you know, the next great American novel, um, but maybe they do want to go abroad for for the summer to yeah learn something new or whatever so an interesting i guess like uh asterisk to all of this is i took a year off in between undergrad and law school to work full-time and i remember um so many people were like i can't believe that you're not going straight through like what's wrong with you because this was i mean this is a long time ago right this was this was 2011 <laughs> And I, it was the best year of my life. It was the best year of my life. I worked in an, uh, a consumer protection law firm. I learned as much as I could about the legal profession. I learned that I did not want to be a litigator. I went to Costa Rica for two weeks and I did teacher training and it was my eat, pray, love trip. And I decided, you know, I, I did a ton of yoga. And I remember when people would, would tell me like, I can't believe that you're going to be taking time off. I was like, but I know my why. And I think if I had worked my, you know, 2,400 hours my first year, you know, whatever, and I wanted it to take three months off, as long as you are connected to your why and you know how that, that three months is going to impact you and how it's going to shape you, you know, post three months, do it. I think that there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking the time that you need to fill your own cup so that you fit. So you can be your best self. Um, I think that you have to be prepared for a lot of pushback and that's something that you can't control. And as long as you're comfortable 
with the questions and you're comfortable with some of the attitude, as long as you're comfortable with your why and you see your big picture, it's all going to come out in the watch. I love that, Danielle. Know your why. Renata. Yeah, I would say do it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because I think, you know, Again, I feel like there was a lot of decisions I made as a young lawyer. I mean, this is even in college, right? Where you're like, oh my God, I can't do this or I shouldn't do that because it's going to have this huge impact on my life. And it really doesn't, you know? Um, in fact, the impact it makes is, is you know, I don't want to say I regret anything, but right, like then things get only more more complicated as you get older, you get chill, you know, you have children maybe, or relationships, or you are at a job maybe that you don't feel as comfortable taking time off at. So I think that when you are you know, less experience, you've got more flexibility. I think that, um, you're just, you're, you know, take, take advantage of that time. Um, but also I think, you know, to kind of Heather's point earlier, and even what Danielle said, like, you're kind of always selling. And so I think if you are, are keeping, you know, know your why understand that you can take that experience and, and sell it as a, as a value add as something that even if it's purely just your own personal mental health, your own experience, right? Like that, that is still very important. You're going to have greater stories to tell, um, in the future. I say do it hundred percent. I love it. Heather. Well, of course they've said most everything I wanted to say, but (laughs) I would say, so know your why, obviously, but also know the policies of your firm Mm -hmm. and understand what they are so that you can sell your why using their language. (laughs) It makes it easier to do. And if they don't have policies, yes, it's harder, but you can still sell it, right? Mm -hmm. And then do not worry about what that means as to how they will perceive you after the fact. One of the things I would say is I learned the hard way after being on bed rest for both of my kids. And then the second child, I was a partner. First child, I was not. I was trying to make partner, taking ex- not taking extra time off because I felt like I couldn't, right? After I gave birth, I cut short my maternity leave because I was out because of the bed rest. Mm-hmm. Biggest mistake of my life. And I looked back and realized, you know, I took that time the first time around. And some people kind of balked of why are you taking that extra time? But a year and a half, two years later, nobody cared anymore because I was working hard. I was showing up. I was like that perception does go away over time. So don't worry about it. Yes, some will give you pushback. Yes, some might view you differently up front. But over time, if you know you do your job, you'll be fine. People have really short attention spans. They're not going to remember, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was looking here. That's their problem, not yours either. (laughs) It is. Yeah, I would say take take the sabbatical. Like I, and and this isn't, I don't know. I think about some of my biggest regrets in life are the things that I didn't do. They, they're not the things that I did do. I mean, I did things that I regret, of course, but like, <laughs> I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I should have gone to that concert. I should have gone to Singapore and not worried about, you know, worry. But I should have taken the, the opportunities when they're there, right? And if you have that opportunity and you know your why, and I love kind of what Renata was saying, like, give it, you, you know, it's it's part of you. Your why can be part of you and you can sell that as long as you are in line with your firm's policies. Of course, like Heather's, got, <laughs> I love that too, kind of uh, wrapping it all in. Um, mm-hmm. 
And if you're not, then maybe that firm is not for you. You yes. know, maybe that you need to reevaluate that. Like we talked <laughs> about. Maybe that's a red flag. Like if, if that really doesn't sit well with you, I mean, you, we have choices. I think that's the other thing that we've talked about a lot is like, you have choices, you ha make, be intentional. Um, yeah. I Absolutely. Love that. And yeah. I will, a final thought, everything you regret at the end is almost always what you didn't do. 100%. I mean, I know this firsthand thinking I was going to die when I was diagnosed because the prognosis initially was not good. That's really what you regret are all the things you didn't do that you thought about that you wanted to and you didn't. The things you tried that you turned out not to be right or you so-called failed at, those are not the ones you don't think about those things again. Thank you for that, Heather. It's a really good point. Guys, thank you all so much for hanging out with me and talking about this awesome article that Harrison Barnes wrote. I'm thinking about sharing this podcast episode with him. So we, <laughs> hello, Harrison. We'll, we'll see if that, he actually listens to it and has any thoughts about it. Uh, just kind of a thought, final thought about it was that um, he, I, I think his warnings kind of come from a good place, um, but I think he is overbroad in his application and he does make a lot of assumptions that aren't necessarily um, realistic or applicable to, to many of us. So thank you all so much for being here and we'll see you in the next conference room. Bye guys. Bye. Thank you so Bye. much for hanging out with us today on Legally Bliss Conversations. If you love this episode, and you want to hang out with other inspiring and light gold female attorneys, be sure to join the Legally Bliss community at legallyblissed.com. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at Susie Hickson. See you next time.